Amen. Well, anybody ever feel like your life feels out of control? So we're all family here. I, uh, I, I, uh, the title slide this morning, it was great. Um, Rod was able to uh, adapt everything for me in like the 11th and a half hour. And uh, we were still talking this morning. But um, I want to show you that message real quick on that title. If you got a chance to click over on that. No. Oh, well, he's already, we're, already, we're already there. See, that was the announcement I was supposed to do. Now we'll do the title slide here. There we go. No. Next one. Sorry. There it is. So what's your story when everything's out of control? You know, I think about that typewriter. Anybody have typing class? Remember typing class? I was part of that group. You young people don't even know what a typewriter is. But I remember at Eisenhower, I had to do typing class and you had to, you know, type. It was funny. What was that? Yeah, it was, it was crazy. So, you know, and type, typewriters became obsolete. And I remember in uh, high school... They had the little floppy disk. Remember the floppy disk? I remember my computer teacher was telling me how it was amazing, these floppy disks and the information. And looking back in that, that has nothing to do with the story. I'm just telling about my computer guy. So we go into the story, though, and God is typing the story. And believe it or not, God has your story all worked out. He wrote your story from the beginning. He knew you when you were intricately and wonderfully made. And there is a beautiful plot that he's putting together. But I wanted to, tie, to go into the story of Esther. If you have your Bibles, turn to Esther 3. And uh, we will be picking up there. Our story today is awesome because it highlights the story of Esther and her cousin Mordecai. And he helped her and he adopted her. And I love God's story for us because no matter where you came from, no matter how many disadvantages you have, no matter what's going on, that God's story is a beautiful story that He wants to raise you up and use you in a powerful way. We see Esther was orphaned, comes through, and Mordecai take, uh, Mordecai take her and took him by his side. Um, she's picked by the king. She spent over a year, was it a year uh, in beauty treatments? How many like a year of just beauty treatments for you? Well, a spa day every day. So she goes through this and... And she literally is willing. Her cousin says, you should do this. And, and uh, the king picks her. And not just for her beauty, by the way. I'm sure she was gorgeous. But here's what I want to say is God's favor was on her life. And Esther 3 and se- uh, through 7, we see now the plot thickening. Turn to somewhere and say, your plight, plot might be thickening. Haman's plot against the Jews. So this guy Haman gets raised up. The king puts him in a position, the king gives him the signet ring, which represented authority. So anything that he said is done. It's good as gold. So Haman now has got this plot. He wants to wipe out wants to wipe out this whole race of people. And I want you to know today that the enemy wants to wipe you off the face of the earth. And the enemy, let me tell you something about your enemy real quick. The enemy comes to steal and destroy. I have come to bring you life and life in its fullness. So if you're confused about life right now, and maybe you think your lot in life is depression, maybe you think your lot in life is to be in the doldrums and to be in a place. No, God gives you a beautiful place of victory. 
The enemy's plotted against the church through the ages, hasn't he? I think of the little Moses as his mom was led of the Spirit to build a mini ark and push him out there and trust that God would save this young man's life. Think of the orphan girl Esther who didn't have it all planned out, didn't have her retirement packages. Who is going to care for me? And God took care of her. The enemy's plotted against the church. He plots and plans against your life. His whole key is to steal and kill and destroy homes and families and marriages and churches and nations. And I love Isaiah 59.19 when the enemy comes in like a flood. The Spirit of the Lord is there to raise a standard against it. And do you know how that standard is raised? As we get into this, we can't leave it up to someone else. It's not someone else's problem to fix your problem. It's up to you. It's not up to you to say to that person, well, I'm going to fix this when the conditions start working out for me and when they do these three things. No, the responsibility is the Spirit of God raises up in us and we do something about it. I think the first part of this intro is this, is you better learn to start expecting some problems. When problems come our way, we kind of over-dramatize them, don't we? Oh my gosh, these problems are going on in my life. Did you hear about my problems? Did you hear about their problems Social media is just one big problem, isn't it? Doug Britton writes this, There's no need to go through life constantly in fear that you're about to suffer at any moment. But it's wise to realize that disappointments and problems inevitably will come your way. I think about life, you know, life in this little microcosm. I was talking to my little barber as I was holding my mask back for him to cut behind my ears. Isn't that crazy all this stuff we have to do now? I'm like, but you know what, Bryce? It has only been six months. Now, hasn't it felt like a lifetime? And it has been a lifetime. Some of us had a, a lot of... I have a lot more gray hairs on this side of my hair now. I was looking in the rearview mirror, and I'm like, there's three more. There's three more. No need to go through life, though, in fear that you're about to suffer in any moment. You have to raise your hand, but all of us have fear. All of us have real fear. We lay awake at night. We wonder. First quarter, I was wondering about my business, if it will exist in the next two weeks. But you don't have to live in fear. I love that last song we sang, Oh, for grace to trust Him more. I hope today in your life that you don't necessarily figure your life out, but that you figure out today in this moment, like Esther did, that I can trust God more today than I did yesterday. I trust Him. Esther, trust the process. I told you, you know, we put stained glass little cute pictures on the Bible, but how many of you know the Bible is very raw and it's very real? God didn't use perfect people. He used messed up folks and He still uses messed up folks just like you and me. So there's no cute picture of the story. Esther now has to give up her life to a heathen king. She's going to be picked and she's going to become the king's property. 
And he's going to become another harem, if you will. She'll be in that harem. And he can just pick whatever he wants, whenever he wants it. How many women like to sign up for that? But there's no need to go through life constantly in fear about that you're about to suffer at any moment. God has not given us a spirit of fear. He's given us sound minds. And if you need a sound mind today, it's here for you. I want to talk about some rather-thens. The first rather-than is this. Rather than rehearsing life's problems. How many of us have gotten really good at rehearsing our problems? You get up in the morning... You talk to your husband or your wife about it. You talk to your brother or your sister about it. You text your friend about it. You come up with things about it. And you're just rehearsing the problem over and over. You talk to your one friend about it. And that's not enough. you got to tell three more people, you're rehearsing your problem. You go to this person to get something and you go to that person to get something. You're rehearsing! Max Lucado, one of my favorite authors, by the way, if you want to rehearse something, I would ask that you rehearse the Word of God. Rehearse that. I would ask that you rehearse some really cool things. I was walking in and out of the hospital yesterday and you know what really caught my attention? I was really, I thanked the Lord for. I was walking out in the parking lot and I was like, oh my gosh, look at that. That's a, that's a grasshopper. Look at that thing. He was looking at me. I was looking at him. I'm like, is he going to hop away or am I going to step on this guy? But I love the grasshopper. I'm like, Lord, you made that grasshopper this morning. That's awesome. He made the coolest grasshoppers in the whole world. Give it up for the grasshoppers. Just kidding. Don't clap, Kelsey. He made that grasshopper in that parking lot. What a grasshopper. Did you see that sunrise yesterday morning? I sure did. Rather than rehearsing the chaos of the world, rejoice in the sovereignty of God. How many of us have been rehearsing the chaos of the world way too much? With our news cycles, we are nuts on it. Don't you just get sick of news? And the more we get it, and we're like, well, maybe there's something. No, it's going to be the same thing rehearsed over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And you wonder why all of us are dealing with the big A word, which is anxiety. We are a people filled with it. And young people and old people alike are having crazy bouts of anxiety. Are you merely echoing the chaos of the world or are you using your God-given creativity, your spirit, your love, your dedication to pour yourself into what God is doing right now in your life? Right now! Not four years from now, not six months from now. No, right now God is putting us in the middle of something instead of rehearsing the world's problems, we can right now reflect on the sovereignty and the awesomeness of who God is. You want something to change? Yep. Yep, Pastor, I need change. When's my change coming? Change something. You know, in business, it's really simple. You know, you want something to change in your business, then please don't do the same thing over and over again because ain't nothing changing. 
That, it's a really simple business principle. I'm selling that book next weekend. So in business, it's really simple. I want to stir it up, right? We all like to stir it up, get this thing going. You know, it's funny, you know, you want to get a hornet's nest going, you just kick it. That's how that works. And it gets going. So in work, you have to wake things up. And so at work, we have to wake things up. Well, let's do something a little different. Let's, let's talk to people. Let's call people. Do you know if you want business, you actually have to call customers. Hey, we'd like your money. Would you like us to do your windows? It's really simple, right? So at home and at life, we say, man, how do I change things as opposed to rehearsing life's problems over and over again? And you know, when you start talking about those things over and over again, it starts to get kind of like annoying. But Mordecai was interesting. What he does here, and Haman has a plot against the Jews, which is no laughing matter. And by the way, your situation in your life right now is no laughing matter. I'm not saying we just joke about it and make light of it and say, ah, oh, you'll just get... No, 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 no. Don't, don't miss what I'm saying here. And there is a plan, and God has you do something. And so Haman is very vindictive, and he wants to take out Mordecai. Mordecai is not responding to him. He's... He's not doing things that Haman says. I've got to read through four chapters today, so hang with me today. I'm not going to read through all of them. I'm going to try to skip through them. But in chapter 3 of Esther, Haman plots against the Jews. Sometime later, King Xerxes promoted Hamadetha and Agai over all the other nobles, making him the most powerful official in the empire. How many know that's important? The king's officials would bow down before Haman to show him respect whenever he passed by, for the king had commanded. But Mordecai refused to bow down or show him respect. Uh-oh. I'm not going to bow down. And I want you to tell you today, you don't have to bow down to nobody. God gave you a backbone. God gave you a brain. God gave you authority to walk through earth. Man, I don't... Listen, the only person I bow for is Jesus Christ. Amen. The name above every other name. Haman now is frustrated because he doesn't get the respect from him. It all starts, by the way, in this moment with a prayer. You know, we introed with that big video. I'm going to skip around a couple of verses. I'm not going to open all of them. But Daniel 9, 3-5 says, So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with Him in prayer and petition and fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Jesus tells us how to pray. You know, many of us, were, when, we, when we pray, we want to announce it to the world and everything. Jesus said, hey man, make yourself look good. Do it in private when God calls you to do something. Do it between you and just God. It's, it's, it's your responsibility to be maintain privacy with this. You're not boasting about it like the heathens do. Luke 4, Jesus fasted for 40 days. Jonah 3, 5 through 9, Joel 2 through 12. Rather than rehearsing life's problems and developing a woe is me complex, don't raise your hand here today, but do you have a woe is me complex? You're now bringing these prayers and petitions before the Lord. You know, I think of Samuel's mom, Hannah. Remember when she went to the temple? She brought her prayers before the Lord. In fact, she was in such intense prayer to where the tears were coming down 
and you couldn't even hear her. She was simply, her lips were moving. Just, And the priest thought that she was drunk. Remember the intensity of that moment? She was doing something. She wasn't just sitting there taking, what was me? The Bible calls tears, or not the Bible, liquid prayer. I love that statement. So Mordecai was weeping and wailing. Why don't we jump real quick to Esther chapter 4. Haman, by the way, gives an edict. And basically to wipe out all the Jews. How many know that's a pretty big deal? Actually, I'm going to say in verse 8 what the edict was of chapter 3. It says, Then Haman approached King Xerxes and said, There's a certain race of people scattered throughout all the province of your empire who keep themselves separate from everyone else. Their laws are different from these people. They refuse to obey the laws of the king. So it is not the king's interest to let them live. If it pleases king, issue a decree that they be destroyed. And I give 10,000 large sacks of silver to the government administrators to be deposited in the royal treasury. The king agreed, confirming his decision by removing his signet ring from his finger and giving it to Haman, son of the Agiite, the, the enemy of the Jews. The king said, The money and the people are both yours and to do with as you see fit. So on April 17th, the king's secretaries were summoned and a decree was written exactly as Haman dictated. So now the decree is made. So some people in life see this and they say, that's it. That's the rules. We're all going to die. God raises people up and says, no, 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 no. God gets the final say. On a much lighter note, I was with my, or my mom was in the ER and I called them and I'm like, I'd like to see my mom. My dad's not there. He just ha so happens to be at chemotherapy. Can I go? And they're like, no. And I go, I don't know, you just heard what I just said. My mom's alone, and I want to be with my mom. Now, you can't do it, sir, only one at a time. If you go, then your dad's going to have to tag out, and he can't go now. And I'm like, well, that stinks. So about two hours go by, and I'm festering. Anybody festered before? So that wasn't sitting with me. And I'm not a no guy. I don't like no. No is a bad word. So I call him back and I say, let me talk to your administrator. So I call her said, hey, Lori, hi, I'm Steve Lapp. My mom's in the ER all by herself. In fact, she's been in the ER for 15 hours. My dad's not there. He's at chemo. I'd like to go to the ER. They said, no, what say you? She said, that's great. Go ahead and go. <laughs> so... It was great because I was able to be with my mom for those few hours. But I guess for these edicts that come through in life, don't take no. No, you fight. Now this is much lighter than that. But I, but I just want to tell you that to fight through in life, to not just kind of go through, rather than rehearsing everything going on wrong, go through and rehearse what God has done. Go through and rehearse what God is up to. Go through and rehearse that God is caring for you. Mordecai was weeping and wailing. Now let's jump to Easter. We're not jumping to Easter. We're jumping to Esther. Esther 4, verses 1 through 7. When he learned about all that had been done, he tore his clothes. He put on burlap and he put on ashes. 
and went out into the city crying with a loud and bitter wail. He went as far as the gate of the palace, for no one was allowed to enter the palace gate while wearing clothes of mourning. And as the news of the king's decree reached all the providences, there was great mourning among, among the Jews. I would say so. They fasted and they wept and they wailed and many people lay in burlap and ashes. And when Queen Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her about Mordecai, she was deeply distressed. She sent clothing to him and to replace the burlap, but he refused. And then Esther sent for Hakteth, one of the king's eunuchs, who had been appointed as her attendant, and she ordered him to go to Mordecai and find out what was troubling him and why he was mourning. So Hakteth went out to Mordecai in the square in front of the palace gate. He told him the whole story, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay in the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He gives him a copy of the decree issued in Susa that called for the death of all Jews. He asked Hagtef to show it to Esther and explain the situation to her. He also asked him to direct her to go to the king to beg for mercy and plead for her. So he returned to Esther and, and Mordecai's message. Then Esther told him, go back and relay this message to Mordecai. All the king's officials, even the people in the provinces, know that anyone who appears before the king and his inner court without being invited is doomed to die unless the king holds out his gold scepter and the king has not called for me to come to him for 30 days. So Hactus gave Esther's message to him. Basically, Esther says no. Now, it's very official how she said it, but the bottom line was Esther was saying, this isn't my problem. And we'll pick it up in a minute. She's in a palace. She's protected. She has a really interesting situation here because if she appears before the king, she could die if she's not asked for. So Esther comes back to him and she says no. No. She didn't like he, that he was putting on this display of sackcloth and ashes. What are you doing? Like, what's going on? Here, put a change of clothes. Make yourself happy. Quit drawing attention to yourself. How many of you know, as the people of God, sometimes it requires we draw attention to ourselves? Injustices and things that happen in our life, we draw attention to that. We don't just go, okay, that's going to work out okay someday. How many of you know if they wanted to wipe out every American, we would have a real problem with it? Ian Bounds writes, God shapes the world by prayer. And don't you ever forget that the moments you're in right now that you're facing, and maybe it requires you to fight. Maybe it requires you to have intercession and prayer. By the way, intercession and prayer is not some gift given to a few people in the church that have been praying for a long time. God gives us a spirit of intercession that God says we can pray in the Spirit and with understanding that the Spirit prays through us and groans in and through our life. So we have that power. He embounds God shapes the world by prayer. He tells Esther's servant the whole story. He's right there at the city gate, right before you go to the king's palace. He is making noise. He's wailing. He's not wearing the right clothes. She wants him to change his clothes. Paul Bilhammer writes this, the fate of the world is in the hand of nameless saints. See, the fate of our world right now today is in the hands of no-name people like you and me 
who are praying on behalf of a nation. No-name people. Praying for the leaders, just as Romans instructs us to pray for all your leaders, to pray for our presidents. I don't care who they are. Folks, I want to tell you that whatever God does and whatever He does in November, we are to pray for that leader. And we are to bless them in the name of Jesus. And we are supposed to pray for those in Congress. We're supposed to pray for our mayors and elected officials. We're to pray for them. So rather than rehearsing life's problems and developing a woe is me, you get busy and it might be in the form of prayer. Say, well, prayer doesn't work. Prayer works in beautiful, beautiful ways. How many have been affected in one way, shape, or form by prayer in your own life? Amen. Prayer works. Number two, rather than sitting and doing nothing, rather than sitting and doing nothing, do something. Many of us, we just sit idly by and he sends this reply back to Esther. She reads it, and her initial response wasn't, yeah, we need to do something. It was, I feel bad for you guys. She wasn't this saint. And don't you ever look at anybody in this Bible like a saint. This is a human person dealing with fears and worries and concern, just like the rest of us. How many have ever looked over your back before on your shoulder and you kind of look things out and what's this going to mean for me? How many have not witnessed because we didn't want, we were embarrassed in the moment? Anybody ever felt embarrassed in the moment? Come on. Oh God, I, no. Ah. Uh, not right now. No, 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 not the time, not the time. We've all clenched our teeth. Am I supposed to say something? That's for the other guy. It's not my responsibility. You don't understand what will happen to me. I'm a, I'm a queen. I have a place of honor. He'll kill me. No, 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 no. No. I'll lose my job. If I say something, I, 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 I'm hoping for the best. Yeah. It would be nice. What are you hiding behind in your own life? What's the cloak you wear? What scares you right now? What are you afraid of? He gives a response. You know, it's interesting because Queen Esther had a heart for her cousin and what he meant to her. And so he respected his opinion. And he said, this warning to Queen, don't you think for one moment that your beauty and your riches and this fancy palace will ever keep you safe. He sent us reply in verse 13. And this is a divine warning to her. So this isn't cute. We kind of wrap these little sayings in the Bible. You know, as, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. And it's all cute and it's hallmark and it's cute little cards. And we put it on the 
back of our toilets and little door knocker things. Folks, this is not Hallmark moment right now, okay? He sent this reply to Esther, don't you think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all the other Jews are killed, Esther. This is life or death. You're not special. If you keep quiet at a time like this, relief for the Jews will arise from some other place. But you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. Esther, this is not about you. Maybe, just maybe, each and every one of us were put on planet Earth not to make sure we have the great dog and the white picket fence and a 401k. Maybe we were put on this earth to bring someone into his kingdom. Maybe you were put in the middle of this huge trial to see God arise. Esther, your name means star. Maybe God wants to do something beautiful and shine through you. By the way, warfare prayer is not a backup category when all else fails. It is not a specialty form of prayer for the unique called or gifted. You are living out your daily life in the context of war, John Eldridge writes. Rather than stay quiet, by the way, many of us have stayed quiet on issues too much. We've stayed quiet among our friends. We've stayed quiet in our situations. We didn't want to bring things up. We didn't want to rub anyone wrong. Esther 7.4 says the wicked Haman is our adversary and our enemy. And Esther calls him out. So, by the way, the king honors now Mordecai. Mordecai, by the way, years ago, in a situation there was a coup attempt against the, against the king. And so Mordecai heard about it saves the king's life from these people who are going to assassinate him. He didn't stay quiet. He didn't say, oh my gosh, what will happen? People will take me out. No, he rises up and he says, I have heard this assassination attempt. And they saved his life. This was back, it was written down in the history of the books uh, uh, for, for King Xerxes. Folks, I want to tell you, rather than stay quiet today with your problems, and many of us have, we've just kind of just soak it in, soak it in. We rehearse it, we rehearse it, we rehearse it. We sit idly by, don't talk about it. Mm, uh, ooh, sandpaper, ooh. Esther 7.4 says, and this was Esther speaking to the king, she said this wicked Haman is our adversary and our enemy. Esther calls him out. Folks, I want you to start calling the devil out in your life. I want you to start calling him a lot of names. Here's some good names you can call him. You can call him a liar. He's the father of lies. You can call him a loser. You can call him a bum. That's my translation. You can call him a clown. 
But some of us are going to need to get a little mad and focus that anger that God puts in us towards the enemy. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Your adversary the devil seeks whom he may devour. The reason we often don't is because we simply accept defeat. Have you accepted defeat right now in your life? I will tell you this, as long as you're on planet Earth and you've got a breath in your lungs and you saw that sun come up and you drank that really good coffee, you have a really, really good reason for living today. The Bible declares you and I super victorious in all that we do. You know, Paul even described, by the way, that's not going to be roses and flower petals through your situation. But it is going to be we get victorious. We become champions through Christ Jesus who gives us strength. Paul said, in spite of all this stuff, remember that whole dialogue that, that, that Paul had, you know, the prosperity teachers would have a real problem with this chapter where he starts talking about, I've been beaten, I've been abused, I've known to be content with little and with much. He said, in all things I've learned to be content in God. Let's run back. Esther chapter 2, let's read this really quick about staying quiet and understanding that God will bless you with the things that you do. We'll run back really quick. This is way back before Haman and everything else. His loyalty to the king. By the way, if you're loyal to Christ, he's going to honor that. One day as Mordecai was on duty as the king's gate, two of the king's eunuchs, Bigthana and Teresh, who were guards at the door of the king's private quarters, became angry at King Xerxes and plotted to assassinate him. But Mordecai heard about the plot and gave the information to Queen Esther. She then told the king about it, gave Mordecai credit for the report. When the investigation was made and Mordecai's story was found to be true, the two men were impaled on a sharpened pole. This was recorded in the book of history for King Xerxes' reign. So we see that little blip there, but see... He never got credit for what he did. And it was interesting how God brings everything full circle for him rising up and doing something about that isolated incident that this would be the key to victory for Mordecai. It was awesome. Fast forwarding now, Esther 6, 1 through 3. Nothing had been done, O king. So the king was distressed. He was up all night. He couldn't sleep. He had trouble sleeping. So that night, in 6 verse 1, the king had trouble sleeping. So he ordered an attendant to bring the book of the history of his reign so it could be read to him. And those records, he discovered an account of how Mordecai had exposed the plot of Bigthana and Teresh, two of the eunuchs who guarded the door to the king's private quarters. They had plotted to assassinate King Xerxes. What reward or recognition did we ever give Mordecai for this? The king asked. His attendants replied, nothing has been done for him. So the king has no idea all the plotting that is going on against uh, him, against all the situation that Haman is doing, and now this is all going to be set up now for a great victory or coronation for God using this in a very special way to provide victory. I want to tell you today, you do the right things behind the scenes, God's going to honor you before people. God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. He will reward you. I don't know how He does it. I don't know what He's setting up for you. I don't know what banquet God is setting up for you. Do you know God sets up a banquet in the middle of your enemies right now? 
So many of us are going into a position where what do I do? How do I fight this? And God says, pull up a chair and watch. By the way, I challenge you, do get into the struggle of our times. Get into the dialogue and the debate. The Bible says to cast down every thought and imagination that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So you and I will have to reason with people and talk to people about issues that matter in a biblical context. Can I get an amen there? You cannot be a camouflage Christian through life. You will at some point have to make a cognizant decision to stand where God calls you to stand. Issues matter to God. Speak up. One of the issues that were brought up were the unborn baby. I think that's pretty important, don't you? Scott Sauls writes, a Catholic nun who lived most of her life in Calcutta, India, Mother Teresa served thousands of desperately poor, sick, and forgotten people. In 1994, she was invited to the United States by the proudly pro-choice Bill Clinton to give the keynote speech at the National Prayer Breakfast. How cute, right? In that speech, she channeled her own God, given anger by boldly and courageously speaking against the termination of image-bearing children in the womb. She said this, We tell other people not to kill one another. Abortion just leads to more abortion. Any country that accepts abortion is not teaching its people to love one another, but to use any violence to get what they want. The prophetic nun then looked toward the president at the head of the table and pleaded with him to stop terminating children in the womb and to give them to her instead. As many in the crowd erupted in applause, the president, vice president, and their wives sat uncomfortably at the head table. One religious leader remarked afterwards that Mother Teresa's words were as bold as a prophetic uh, confrontation as we have ever witnessed. This cute, this cute little lady, completely harmless, made waves all the way to the leader of the free world to address probably the most important issue of our lifetime. The impact that you and I have by serving the Lord, we will have no idea this side of eternity what the results will be. The ripple effect of standing in the gap, not just wallowing in our own pity and our own problems, but actually stepping out and stepping up to be a voice where we're called to be a voice. Turn to someone we're going to say, it's time to speak up. Scott Souls goes on to write, Mother Teresa's courageous commitment to use negative emotion, whether it was sorrow or grief or anger or some combination thereof for good by speaking truth to power, is an example of how we must be willing, even if it costs us, to stand on behalf of all who are weak and vulnerable or unjustly persecuted. See, people, God is raising you and I up right now to demolish strongholds in our world. He truly is. He is partnering with us. He gives us His Spirit. He prayed that prayer when we did communion last week of God, I don't ask that you take them, but I ask that you keep them here on earth. Romans 12.9 says, don't turn there, but it says... Hate what is wrong and hold tightly to what is good. He says, hate what is wrong. 
I don't think we have enough hate in our hearts today in the church. So what? what? We need more love, Pastor. No, I think we need more hate because we really truly don't hate sin. If we truly did, our churches would be a little bit more hot on fire for Jesus Christ. I don't know if you know this, and I've said this before, I am not so concerned with the guy burning an American flag right now. Do you know what really concerns me is when the headlines keep popping through of all of these leaders of our evangelical movement that just keep falling. And the moral depravity in the church right now is unheard of. We don't have enough hate in our hearts for what's wrong. We are so in the gray. We just do whatever is right in our own eyes. We have gotten to the point in the church where we almost feel like, should I talk about this? I have to deal with these own issues in my own head. God, this is a hard one. Should I talk about this? Yes, Steve, talk about it. Don't you think for a moment, I have to pray about these things and say, oh my gosh, well, man, Lord, what if this person hears this and this person? Oh my gosh, Lord, he's like, Steve, this is my word, it's not your word. You don't get to manipulate. We don't speak up because we want to be nice. And this, who you are, to judge me in a society even preaching the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ has become offensive. You're, you're concerned with offending someone. And don't you know today that the Gospel is an offense? It implies that you and me are lost and that we're in desperate need of a Savior. I don't need an assistant. I need someone to save me from myself. I don't need improvement or self-improvement to make Steve better. I need help because I can't breathe. Scott Souls goes on to write, Many of us were told in childhood, if you don't have something nice to say, then don't say anything at all. This kind of thinking is understandable because most of us would rather be around a nice person than an angry person. Nice people are pleasant and unobtrusive. They'd rarely stir the pot. They're easy to please and are low maintenance. They rarely stir the pot. They're easy to please and are low maintenance. But nice people aren't always healthy people. Nice people and their reluctance to confront can sometimes work against the purposes of God. Jesus wasn't always nice. Sometimes Jesus was the furthest thing from nice. Jesus got angry. Appalled by corrupt worship, he flipped tables in the temple. He called people names like hypocrites and whitewashed tombs and children of the devil. How many like that? Peering into the tomb of his friend Lazarus, Jesus got madder than a rodeo bull. Jesus shows us that it is possible even godlike for him to get steaming mad. He shows that it is possible to lose our cool without losing our character. Sometimes anger, when released from a place of health and love, is a furious force that accomplishes constructive and life-giving outcomes. See, we want nice people in church, don't we? I, I, I go to a nice church. It's, just, it's so nice here. And that's great. Don't you love a nice church? It's great. But don't you want a thing where God's truth 
is coming through, that we experience conviction, that we're actually being changed from the inside out. I don't think people were very comfortable when Jesus raised his voice, took a whip, and started whooping tail at that temple that day. Wait, where's that Jesus that, you know, come unto me, I am gentle. That wasn't a gentle moment. See, be very careful about your niceness and your wanting to get along with everyone that you don't confront either. You know, we do speak the truth in love. Now, I'm not telling everyone here to get all cross and start turning tables everywhere and get crazy. What I am telling you is when God puts something in your heart. You know, parent, have you ever got mad at your kids before? Anybody in here ever? You know, you see your kid running across the street. You're not going, hey, Johnny, don't go across the street. The semi is going to run you over. Oh, my. That's a big semi. Come on. No. No, no, no. No. One. Two. No, I know, I know. Three. You could come in for cookies. You will scream your head off. Mom, you're not nice. No, I'm not. I don't want you dead. Get your tail over here. I'm going to put my boot on your hind pot. You got three seconds. Not ten. Let's compromise. You have three seconds to get away from that curb or you're not dying from the semi, you're dying from me. Just kidding. I want a nice parent. My parents aren't nice. They tell me what's going on. Thank God that I had a dad with a backbone. And a mom with a backbone. He shows us that it's possible to not be nice but still have character. To get angry and upset and yet still accomplish what God wants. Sandra, if you want to come up here and start playing. The ending of the story is this simple thing. That Esther, really truly understanding now what the weight of the situation was and not wanting to, because let me tell you something, none of us want to be in this position. None of us want to be the bad guy. I don't want to be the bad guy. I want everyone to like me. I'm very type A. I love people. I like being around people. But God has called me to a bigger call than just be a buddy. He hasn't called you just to be a buddy either. He's called you to be a friend. And I love that verse that talks about wounds from a friend. And iron sharpens iron. And let's call each other out. I've said this before, but man, if I have bad breath and you don't give me a mint, I'm going to get really mad at you. Because I'm going to have like 50 other people that will die for my breath because of you. <laughs> if I got bad breath, then tell me. Come on. We do like a check before I go to church and make sure everything's good. Like, you know, 
just you know, get a little hair in your nose, Steve, get that. You know, these are important things. Don't worry about the log in your eye. You know, you know what I'm saying. Jesus shows us that it's possible even God-like for him to get steaming mad. He shows that it's possible to lose control without losing character. Esther now is being used of God to save a nation. And maybe God is using you to save your family. Maybe God is using you to save your friend. Maybe God is using you to save this church. You don't think your prayers are important here? Your heart and your dedication, your service, everything that God has put in you to be used of all the gifts that God has given to you, the blessings that He's given to you. But I pray that you open your eyes this week and you see the opportunities that lay before you at work to be a powerful witness. Please don't be annoying. Today, don't leave here and jam pamphlets and everybody's lunchbox and everything. Be a friend to someone, listen to them, pray with them, talk to them about issues. I tell you what, it was great. Even when I didn't have my own business, even at my own business, there's always, 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 always an opportunity to be a witness. You don't even need to pray for opportunities. Jesus said, don't even worry about the harvest. Pray for workers. You have got a harvest laying before you where you're at and what you influence and the people around you. But be like Esther and rise up and appear before the king and say, King, this decree has been made, but you're the final decree. He is, God has got the biggest signet ring on planet Earth in this universe. And his signet ring overrides anything the enemy would put against you. Why don't we close our eyes for a moment and pray. Father, I thank you for our church family, the city that you've planted us, our homes where you've planted us, our neighborhoods, our streets, the street names, the faces across the street. God, I pray that even as we're, our eyes are closed and we get so often focused on us right now, I pray that our eyes open and we see the people across the street right now and next door that we're running from and using the garage door to close really fast. I pray we see him, Father. Maybe we see the kids skipping up and down the sidewalks. We start to see the people at church. We start to pray and confront, maybe, if that is it. Stand with. In a culture so torn right now, Father, I thank you that you are blending this nation back together. Blend us back together, Father. We don't want to isolate and insulate our lives further. We are spoiled little Christians, Father. We have had enough of our Bible clubs and our Christian music. We are fat on it. Lord, we have work to do. We have people to bless. May we be those people that be poured out as Esther in that moment when she appeared before the king and called it out and called it as it was, and a whole nation was saved. And the plot of the enemy was foiled. And God, you rewarded the patience of Mordecai and the favor that you blessed Esther with. God, I thank you for blessing these families right now in this house. And today, maybe you're here right now in this moment, 
and you don't know the grace of Jesus Christ in your life, and you don't have Him as your Lord and Savior, He wants to make your heart His home. He wants to reign in your life. And He died on the cross for your sins and for mine. He rose again on the third day to give you and me victory. And today, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, with every head bowed and every eye closed, you say, today I want to know Christ as my Savior. If that's you, would you raise your hand? I want to pray with you. Anyone? Thank you. Let's pray this together. Dear Jesus, I thank you for giving me faith. Thank you for giving me life. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins, for my issues, for my weights, for my problems. Thank you, God, for giving me new life and a hope and a future. Come into my life. Make me new. In Jesus' name. With every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe today you've been a little scared. Maybe you have been rehearsing things in your mind. And the focus has completely gone away from Him and His plan for you and you have got stuck in the echo chamber of everything going on around you. Your mind is not whole right now, Christian. Saint, God wants to make your mind whole. You can be attacked on every level and yet be whole. You can be under duress and stress today. You know, Jesus even said, don't worry about tomorrow's problems. There's enough to worry about today. So it's not to say that you don't have duress and stress. It's to say that your life, your mind is complete that has stayed upon the Lord. Maybe it's time that you stop rehearsing that thing and start rehearsing other things. And where your help truly is coming from, it won't come from you. It's going to come from the Lord. Today, dear loved one, if that's you and you say, you know what, God is going to give me a new mind in this so that I can move forward and do really crazy, faithful things that before I would have been really scared of. And I'm just trusting God right now with every step as He calls me to do it. If that's you, would you raise your hand? I want to pray with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Let's pray this today. Dear Jesus, thank you for your calling on my life. Lord, forgive me for where my mind has wandered off to. Lord, I'm going to keep my mind on you. Thank you, God, that I don't have to rehearse all my problems, that I simply can trust in you today. Thank you for giving me a new mind, new faith. You said we can go from faith to faith. Thank you, God. Thank you for blessing me my family. Give me the right words to say. In Jesus' name, amen. Folks, I love you so much. 
Have a wonderful, wonderful week. Keep the laps in your prayers. Keep Mr. Nick in your prayers. It's tomorrow, right? Okay. Linda's, we're praying for you. See, I, I can just say Linda's. But I love you guys so much and have a wonderful week. I'm going to send out a text this week. And if you want to get on our texting, let me know. It just gives us all our announcements. Um, but uh, in regards to the schedule for the return. But I encourage you to come here. We'll have some coffee and stuff like that in the cafe. But uh, we'll have it on the big screen here and uh, get all that going. But we just appreciate everyone that can come join us at any point in the day. We'd love to have you here that morning. But uh, we'll send a text with the exact times and all that kind of stuff. Love you so much. Have a good week.